0: So this week, I had to go to the hardware store with Casey and the boys. Okay, I'm glad you're ready for this story. You know, I've got to be very careful when I take my boys to the hardware store. And it's not because I think that they're going to knock something off the shelf, or because they're going to get into trouble, no, no. It's because there are these very smart salesmen who evidently don't like parents, And what they've done is they've strategically placed these little shelves with toys, like cars, in hardware stores. That's not for the people going there to buy hammers and nails and screws, no, that's for the kids who have to go in. And I know that if my kids see that, it's all they're going to think about, it's all they're going to talk about when we're in the store. Now look, we don't buy them those toys, okay? Nice try, salesman. It does remind me of the fact, this is what stores have always done, right? Stores have always done stuff like this. I remember as a kid seeing the toys hanging in grocery store aisles and asking for them. And I remember how my mom handled that. If we asked for a toy, whether it was me or one of my siblings, my mom was pretty quick to say, yeah, we're not going to do that. But if we begged, if we pleaded with her, she would say this. She would say, okay, you think about it for a month. And if in a month you still want that toy, we'll come back and you can buy it with your money. A month is like eternity in kid time. But of course, that was part of the point, right? You see, when she said this, a couple of things happened. First of all, right away we stopped whining in the store because we knew we weren't going to win that argument with my mom. But second, the other thing that would happen is we usually forgot about the toy in a day or two, right? Because it wasn't important to us, anyways. You see, there's value in, in waiting. Waiting many times stirs up in us either an eager anticipation for something or forgetfulness, right? Look, my younger brother, Nick, he never forgot. He always remembered a month later. But the rest of us, we, we changed our mind. Or we forgot all about that toy in just a few days. Of course, waiting a month for something is one thing. What about waiting 400 years for something? That's a long time, isn't it? That's a lot of... Time to anticipate something or, on the other hand, a lot of time to, to forget something. And, and Israel waited 400 years for something very important. Let me explain. Malachi, Malachi was the last prophet in Israel before the time of Christ. Or the last written prophecy of Malachi was that the, the Lord was going to send Elijah to the earth to prepare the hearts of the people before the Lord came. And then, after that prophecy, then Israel waited. They waited for the long-promised Messiah. They waited for the prophet Elijah to come. They waited for the day of the Lord to arrive. They waited for 400 years without hearing another direct word from God. That's why those centuries are often referred to as the silent years in Israel's history. That be the gap between the Old and the New Testament The 400 silent years. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? And during that long wait, there were still some Israelites who eagerly anticipated what the Lord had promised. But many of the Israelites started to live lives somewhat forgetful of those promises. It's like the promises weren't important to them at all. But then after 400 years, the silence Ended. That's what we're going to take a look at today. Last week, Pastor Brandon, he preached on the birth of Christ, did an incredible job, by the way. If you, like me, were not here last week, I would encourage you to go catch up on that sermon. Watch it on Vimeo, listen to it on the podcast. You need to listen to what Pastor Brandon brought. But for the next two times, today and then next week, what I want us to look at are some events immediately before the Lord's birth and then immediately after his birth. And today we're going to look at what happened immediately before his birth was announced, when that 400 years of silence, when they were ended. That's what I want us to see. You see, those 400 years ended before the baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas time, before the Lord was born. That silence ended before then. Uh, The silence ended before the angels came to the shepherds who were tending their flocks by night. The silence ended before the angel came to Mary and to Joseph. Now the silence ended before all of that. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn me to Luke chapter 1 so we can look at this together today. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. You can use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 830, page 830, and you'll find yourself in Luke chapter 1. Again, the silence, those 400 silent years, that ended before Jesus' birth was announced. And we're going to see this morning what God did to help the people get their hearts ready for Jesus. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. It says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. All right, let's just stop here for just a second. So just setting up the scene for us, what's going on? Zechariah, he's in the temple, people are worshiping outside. But to really grasp everything that's about to happen, I also want to explain a little bit about what things were like for Israel before Jesus came. Okay? Politically, in the roughly 400 years since they had last heard from God, a lot had happened for the nation of Israel. Or Since that time, for a lot of years, it, after Malachi's prophecy, for a lot of years, Israel was ruled by the Persian Empire. In the Persian Empire, they treated Israel decently. But then, after a little while, uh, came the worldwide conquering success of Alexander the Great. And Israel, like pretty much everybody, was ruled by the Greeks. So they were ruled by several different Greek rulers until one of them desecrated the Jewish temple. That's when the Israelites rebelled. They were led by the Maccabees. As a result of that rebellion, Israel experienced a freedom that they hadn't had in a long time. In fact, the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah, which just wrapped up this past week, commemorates that time. But here's the thing, that freedom was short-lived and 63 B.C., Israel was conquered, like pretty much everybody else, by Rome, and once again they fell into the routine of being ruled by foreign leaders. And here's the thing, so during that time, Israel, they were being influenced by these pagan nations, and keep in mind they hadn't heard a direct word from God in 400 years, so let me explain how things were going spiritually in Israel before Jesus came. During those 400 years, a number of things happened. For example, it was during that time that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that those groups were created, rose to prominence, and as many of us know, proved themselves to be unfit spiritual leaders. Uh, More than that, a lot of the Israelite worship during that time had become uh, ritualistic rather than genuine. Legalism supplanted faith. There were a lot of Israelites whose hearts just didn't really long for the Lord. Uh, There were Jews who worshipped, but they really just moved through the motions. And what I mean by that is that they celebrated the festivals. They they outwardly recognized the Sabbath. They sacrificed at the temple. But a lot of it was empty-hearted for many of the Israelites. So spiritually, things weren't going great before Jesus came. Now, of course, you had had some bright spots in there, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They they loved the Lord. They genuinely worshipped him. They obeyed him. As such, I am certain that they longed and anticipated those prophecies about the coming Messiah. So it's no surprise they were blessed to have a role in God's plan. Now let's look at verse 11 together. It says this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Go ahead and stop right there. So before Jesus came, Israel was in this time of national defeat, and in this time of spiritual apathy. And here was Zechariah, one of the ones faithful to the Lord. He was standing in the temple, okay, and and years of waiting, years of, of wondering, years of wanting to see prophecy fulfilled, and now that silence ends. Zechariah finds himself standing face to face with an angel. Of course, he was gripped with fear. But what I don't want us to miss is what the angel said. This son, who's going to be miraculously born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, this son John was going to be great in the sight of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was going to go on in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what was he going to do, that son? What, what was his purpose? To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to make a people prepared for the Lord. Prepared for the Lord. And by the way, these were some of the final words of Malachi's last prophecy. Zechariah would have recognized those words. And the angel is saying to Zechariah, Zechariah, it's it's time. They were on the cusp of the Messiah's arrival. But what I want us to realize is that before before Jesus came, before Jesus started his public ministry 30 years later, before that, something needed to happen before Jesus came. You see, many of the Israelites, they weren't ready for the Lord. They weren't ready for Jesus. Why? Because spiritually, they were just moving through the motions they were going to miss the Savior because they weren't looking for him anyways. Don't get me wrong, a lot of Israelites were looking for a political Savior, somebody to save them from Rome. But they weren't looking for someone to save them from sin and hell. So before Jesus came and started his ministry, John the Baptist came on the scene. John came to prepare the hearts of the people. John fulfilled Many Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi, John was the forerunner of the Messiah. That is, he came to prepare the way for the Lord. And part of what he did is John preached what was called a baptism of repentance. He called the people to repent of their sins. He told them to get their hearts ready. He told them to pursue righteousness. Why? Because he said somebody greater is about to come on the scene. And when that day came, when Jesus stepped forward, John said... He said, There he is. He said, Look. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John came to help the people get their hearts ready for Jesus. Sadly, as many of us know, not everyone heeded John's message. They saw their need to be saved from Rome, but they didn't see their need to be saved from sin or hell. Separation from God. He didn't see that need. There's a prison chaplain from Greece who said that he, he found a lot of success pointing prisoners to faith in Jesus, and he said this was why. He said, When you deal with a prisoner, you don't really have to convince them that they're a sinner. Their imprisonment's kind of proof of that, right? He said, The problem, he said, is that. There are a lot of people outside of jails who think that because they're not, you know, a criminal, that everything is okay for them. That they don't need a savior. Well, that's the mindset of a lot of people in our world today. It's the mindset of a lot of the Jews in the day of John the Baptist and Jesus, too. Before Jesus came on the scene, before he performed jaw-dropping miracles, teaching with unmatched authority, and clearly revealing himself to be the Son of God, before all of that, God sent John the Baptist to get the hearts of the people ready so that people could be prepared, so they could be watching, be ready, so they could see the sinful states of their heart. That way, when the Savior came, those who were ready, whose hearts were prepared for Jesus, they'd be prepared to believe in the Lord and to follow him. John the Baptist had a special role because before Jesus came, the people needed to get their hearts ready. And here's the thing. So do we. So do we. Here's the application that I want us to understand. Church, here's the thing. Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is going to come again. The Bible makes that very clear. In fact, after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then he appeared to many of his followers, after that, in Acts chapter 1, we read about when Jesus ascended to, to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the disciples were standing there, staring up after Jesus as he ascended, two angels came beside them and said this. In Acts 1.11, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? They said, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, just as Jesus visibly ascended, he's going to visibly return. Jesus made it clear many times that he is going to come back again. Look, his first... Coming, that's what we celebrate at Christmas when Jesus first came to this earth. Jesus' first coming was for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead so that through faith in him, we could be set free from sin. We could be set free from hell. We could receive eternal life. But his second coming, well, it's going to be different. His second coming is going to be different. Oh, on that day, he's not going to come as a humble baby in a manger on a silent night. No, 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 on that day, he is going to come as a conquering king with great trumpet shouts. And the whole world will see him as he descends in power and glory. The great and glorious day of the Lord that we are talking about is spoken of in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's too many passages for us to look at all of them today. So what we're going to do is make a little list of just some of them that we'll put on the screen for you. I'm going to encourage you to take a picture of this, write some of these down. Look at this at home. Because remember, it doesn't matter what Andrew says. It matters what the Bible says. Go look at these passages. You'll see the truth that when our Savior returns, He's going to judge the wickedness on this earth. He's going to set up His earthly kingdom. He's going to rule with righteousness and justice. We should long for that day. The return of the Lord is called the church's blessed hope in Titus chapter 2. It's supposed to be our eager anticipation. And you know what? It was in the early church. The early church so eagerly anticipated the return of Jesus Christ that the word Maranatha was commonly spoken among them. And that word means, Our Lord, come! In fact, the final statement in the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, that means these are the final words in all of Scripture. It says this. It says, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Jesus is coming again. And here's the thing. For 2,000 years, God's people have waited for the Lord to return. But 2,000 years is a long time, right? It's a long time. And remember, there's value in waiting because we'll either eagerly anticipate something or we will... Or will become forgetful. 2,000 years is a long time. So much so that many Christians, they don't anticipate this anymore. One of the proofs of that is that it's, it's the reason why there are so many Christians who just, they move through the motions of worship today. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are Christians who celebrate the festivals, Right? Like the Lord's birth at Christmas time, or the celebrators' resurrection at Easter. Uh, They'll they'll do that. But but a lot of the worship it's it's empty-hearted. They aren't living in eager anticipation that at any moment the Lord might return and we'll be standing before Him. If we were living with that anticipation, wouldn't our worship be more passionate? Wouldn't our obedience be more consistent? Wouldn't our faith be central in everything that we say and do? But sadly, many Christians, they don't don't think about the Lord's return. And so they're found living lives unfaithful to the Lord. They're weak in their faith. They're indistinguishable from the world around them, except for occasional church attendance. It shouldn't be this way. So how should it be? I want us to see what the Apostle Peter said about these things. So if you're following along in your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're using one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary, that's page 985. Page 985. 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 3, Peter says this, he wrote, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where's this, where's this coming, he promised, Whoever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. These are the days we're in, church. These are the days we're in, where people, they mock our faith. They mock the word of God. They mock the prophecy in God's word. They'll say, it's been 2,000 years. And you crazy Christians really think that Jesus is coming back? And we expect that from unbelievers. The sad thing is that they persuade many Christians to think the same thing. And so there are Christians who do think, well, maybe he's not coming back. They think to themselves, after all, it's been a long time. And we start to wonder, why is it taking so long? Peter answers that, by the way. Look at verse 8. Peter said, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come To repentance. Look, if we're honest, Christians, I mean, all of us, we're we're pretty glad that Jesus didn't return before we put our faith in him, right? Amen? Yeah, let's be honest. But don't we realize that he's likewise being patient with others? He desires that others would also come to that same saving faith. What we need to understand is that the Lord's timing is just not like ours. And we need to understand that the Lord is going to come the second time, just like he did the first time, which means he's going to come at just the right time. So, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Praise the Lord, Peter answers that for us too, because just like the Israelites, we need to get our hearts ready. Look at verse 11. He continues and says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. So that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Church, if the Lord is coming back, and he is, the question is, what kind of people ought we to be? A Christian woman who once had uh, some some ladies come over to her house one night, and they were talking to one another, and and the subject came up as they they talked of the Lord's imminent return, that Jesus was coming back. And while they were talking there, uh, the woman's young daughter overheard some of the conversation, then she kind of wandered off. In the house. Well, later in the evening, uh, the mother got worried, wondered where her daughter went. So she went looking for her. and she found her upstairs near one of the windows at the top of the house. She said, sweetheart, what are you doing? And Her daughter said, mom, I heard you saying that Jesus might come back today, and I wanted to be the first one to see him. And look, mom, I, I went, and I washed myself up, and I put on a new dress. That little girl, Wanted to be ready when Jesus came. And that should be what we want, too. We don't know what time the Lord is going to come again. We don't know what time our lives might end. So, friends, that means that we need to always live ready to stand before him. And there are two ways that we must prepare ourselves for that, friends. First and foremost, we must accept him as Lord and Savior. Do not delay in that, friend. You don't know when he's going to return, just like you don't know when your life is going to come to an end. At any moment, you might be standing before the Lord of all creation. Are you ready for that? How do we prepare our hearts for that? That happens first by making sure that we've been forgiven of our sins and we've been made right in God's sight. That doesn't happen by going to church. doesn't happen by doing good works. doesn't happen by celebrating Christmas. doesn't happen by getting baptized. No, no, no. That happens by recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And going to Jesus in faith, accepting His sacrifice on the cross on your behalf, trusting in His resurrection from the dead, and entrusting your life to Him as your Savior. In that very moment, you're forgiven. You're made right in God's sight forever. You're saved from hell, given eternal life. You're at peace with God. Second, for those of us who have done that, We need to prepare our hearts too. We've been saved, yes, but now we need to live each and every day for him. Christians, we should desire that when we step into his presence, we would hear those sweet words that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 25. Those words are, well done, good and faithful servant. But to hear those words, to enter his presence with joy, we need to make sure that we're living the right way. What kind of people ought we to be, church? Peter told us. He said we need to strive to live holy and godly lives. To be found spotless. Blameless. To be on guard. We need to be on guard against temptation and sin. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, grow in your knowledge of the Lord and in your obedience to the Lord. And understand That's not going to happen by just occasionally attending church and generally being kind to others. It's not what Peter's talking about. Now, if you want to grow close to the Lord, you want to be faithful to the Lord, that means intentionally being with the Lord. It means pouring into His Word every single day. Letting prayer be a continual part of your life. It means intentionally and joyfully following His commands. It's an intentional thing that we need to do. Christians, don't Don't grow lazy the way that many believers have because they said, it's been 2,000 years. So maybe he's not going to come for another two. Don't grow lazy. Don't doubt his return, as many have, or think that it's already happened. And don't start thinking that it doesn't matter how we live. Jesus could return at any moment. And we need to live like we're going to see him at any moment. Think of it like this. Long ago, there was a servant whose master went on a trip. And while his master was away, the servant, one of his friends, came to visit him. And while the friend was there, the friend got tired, laid down, closed his eyes. And when he woke up, he found that the servant had immaculately set the table for tea that afternoon. Just like the master was in the house or something. There was tea in the teapot. And he said, Oh, he said, Did you, did you get word? Is the master's coming back today? The servant said, No. No, he said, I have no idea when he's coming back. But he said, every day I make sure to get everything ready at just the right time, just in case. And Christians, that needs to be our attitude. We need to be living for the Lord because someday soon, we're going to be standing before the Lord. We're going to give an account of our lives to Him. You know, but sometimes we're tempted to think to ourselves, well, I'm already saved. So, It doesn't matter how I live. Heaven will still be great. First of all, if that is your continual attitude, I would encourage you to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. You're really giving your life to Christ. You really love the Lord. Uh, But more than that, I also want to encourage you with this. I read this recently statement that a pastor made. He said, you know, he said, it's true, every Christian will have joy in eternity. Every Christian will. But he said that some Christians are going to have a greater joy. He described it this way. He said that joy, it's it's like we're all going to have a cup that's filled to the brim. That's our joy. He said the difference is some Christians are going to have a bigger cup. bigger capacity for joy in eternity. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said this. He said, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Those faithful believers who live in eager anticipation of the Lord's return, their reward in heaven will be great. Their joy in heaven will be great. Church, the question this morning is, do we have hearts that are ready for the Lord? Sadly, Many people did not have their hearts prepared when Jesus came the first time. So they didn't put their faith in him. Even though they had every opportunity, including the words of John the Baptist, who told them to be prepared. And today, sadly, there are many who are not prepared for Jesus to come again. I hope that he is your Savior. And if so, I hope that you are heeding the words of Scripture, which tell us how we ought to live, believers, Until that day comes. Church, here's my encouragement. Here's the truth for you this morning it's this. We need to understand that when we eagerly anticipate seeing Christ, we'll desire to live a life that's pleasing in His sight. When it is our eager anticipation that at any moment we could be standing, we will naturally want to live a life that's obedient. We'll naturally want to spend time with Him. We'll want to fight against temptation. We'll want to live righteously. Because we know that at any moment, we'll be standing in the presence of our Savior. He is coming again, church. So we need to prepare our hearts for that time. Believer, fight against sin. Strive for righteousness. Look out for one another. Be intentional in your pursuit of Christ. Share the gospel with those who are perishing. Because at any moment, he could come back. Someone once asked the preacher John Wesley what he would do that day if he knew he was going to die. You know what John Wesley said? He said, I would do exactly what I have scheduled to do today. And that's how we need to live, believers, prepared every day to stand before the Lord. So, believer, maybe you're here and the Spirit's convicting you because you know that. There's some unconfessed sin in your life. There's some habits you've been holding on to. You haven't been spending time with Him. Maybe He's convicting you that you're not, you're not ready. You wouldn't enter His presence with joy. Believer, I'm going to encourage you during this final invitation song if that's the case, confess those things to the Lord. Repent to those things. Throw those at His feet and get ready to live for Him again. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray and let other believers surround you. Maybe you're here, believer, and And you are eagerly anticipating his coming. You are regularly evaluating your heart. If that's true for you, I'd encourage you to shout out your praises. We sing a final song. And maybe you're here today, and Jesus isn't your Savior. Friend, my encouragement to you is do not leave here that way today. My encouragement to you is to understand that you might not have more than today. You might not have tomorrow. You might not have next week. You might not have until you're old and gray to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. Let today be the day of your salvation. Jesus has been waiting your whole life to forgive you, to save you from hell, to give you eternal life. And the Bible is very clear. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never done that, we want to give you the opportunity before you leave. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if you're here, you know that Jesus isn't your Savior. But you're ready to change that. You're ready to give your life to Him. Friend, understand, look, you can come to the front during this final song. We can talk together and pray together. If you don't want to come to the front, you can go to the back. And one of our deacons or Pastor Brandon will be there to talk and pray with you. But maybe you're ready right now. You don't want to wait another moment. You want to give your life to Jesus. And if that's true, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. And friend, I promise you on the authority of God's Word, if you pray this in faith, Jesus Christ will save you. You can pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. Jesus, today, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins. I do believe in you. I want you to be my Savior. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready for you to be the Lord of my life. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today who made that decision, I pray they tell someone before they leave because they're in a room filled with people that want to celebrate. Your word says that the angels break out rejoicing when one sinner repents. And we want to be a church that does the same thing. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, help us to understand that at any moment we could be standing before the Lord. And, and, And let that not terrify us into obedience, but rather give us great excitement that we could be with you at any time. And in that excitement and joy, help us to to yearn to obey you, to know you, to make you known to others who are perishing. I pray, I pray that we would eagerly anticipate being with you and that that would change how we are living our lives. So that we would be a church filled with believers growing in love and in unity together. Becoming more like Christ. And so that we would be a church faithful to share the gospel with everybody in our community. Because we don't know when we're going to stand before you. We don't know when they are either. So help us to be eager to share the gospel. Father, I pray that if there are any of us here today that need to lay some things at your feet. The need to confess we haven't been anticipating your return. I pray that we would get our hearts right with you. We would start living in a way that pleases you. I pray that everything that we say and do and pray and sing the rest of this morning would bring you glory and honor. Father, we love you. You proved long ago when you sent your son that you love us more. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.